Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we talk about Super Bowl 54 and the Pro Football Hall of Shame. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by Bailey Adams. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at BaileyJAdams22, and at Bucks underscore Nation. That's right, Bailey Adams stepping up and stepping in again because David Harrison is not going to be here all week long. He's still traveling, and uh, right now he's on the West Coast, which means when he would be able to record, I will be in bed. So much appreciated, Bailey, coming on yet again. You're you're becoming a regular, and it, at this point, uh, I get the feeling we're going to have to put you on the payroll. I'm not opposed to it, but I wasn't going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm. I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it either if I didn't just <laughs> spend all that money on Miami University hockey summer camp for my son. <laughs> oh man. Parents, don't let your kids play youth hockey. It's just going to be my my weekly PSA. I'm going to slide that into an episode every single week. But, but, the, anyway. but the joy of a kid playing youth hockey is priceless. Oh, my God. He loves it so much. And I yeah. don't know, not, not to go off on a huge tangent, but I don't know what's gotten into him the past couple weeks. He, uh, he played goalie, came away with a 6-3 to three win, and has five goals in the last four games. I was going to say, I've been seeing your updates on Facebook every weekend, and it's like, Beckett scored again. Beckett scored again. I'm like, dang, okay. He also took his first trip to the penalty box. Oh, that's a good one. That's almost better than a goal. It's almost better than a goal to me. Yeah, the team that they played this past weekend was rather physical, and uh, Beckett had positioned himself in front of the net the way he was supposed to and had a kid behind him doing some shoving. And Beckett shoved back, and he was a little bit bigger than the other kids, so that kid <laughs> took a dive. And, uh, yeah, Beckett was sent to the sin bin. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Yep. But, anyway, that's hockey talk. Um, Super Bowl 54. That was an incredibly entertaining game. Uh, and I had gone into the weekend... Bailey, I'm not sure exactly how you felt about it. I'd gone into the weekend not really caring who won. I was kind of pulling a little bit for the 49ers. Um, but ultimately, I just wanted it to be a good game. I wanted to be entertained. I could find reasons to be happy for either team. Obviously, I was going to pull a little bit more for John Lynch. He's my second favorite player in in NFL history as far as the Buccaneers are concerned and honestly, probably as far as any players are concerned. Um, I would have liked to see Quan Alexander get one. Um, but on, on the Chiefs side, I love Andy Reid and I'm so excited that he got his, his first ring well-deserved, well-earned. You know, that was absolutely an incredible job by him. He's, he's put in the work, he's put in the time, he's suffered heartbreak after heartbreak. Um, so I, I had reasons to be happy for either side, but when John Lynch got screwed again, which we'll get into later in the episode, I was all in on the 49ers all in. 
So I was a little disappointed at the outcome, but ultimately we had an exciting game. We had ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys for both quarterbacks. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo looked like his his mentor, Tom Brady at times. Um, you know, and, and Patrick Mahomes looked like Patrick Mahomes at times, but then both of them looked just god awful at times. It, it was really incredible to watch. Um, Raheem Mostert couldn't seem to get anything going, but Damian Williams was tearing it up. Tevin Coleman was having a great game. Bosa was disruptive as he always is. Uh, Buckner's out there getting a sack. Quan Alexander should have had a pick six deflected off of his hands, but ultimately it was just a great game to watch. Congratulations to the Chiefs. If if any of our listeners are friends or family with Chiefs members, I, I'm sure they're uh, they're or with with Chiefs fans. I'm sure they're happy and, and excited for them. Um, but ultimately, you know the the biggest takeaways that I have were number one, the offensive pass interference call on Kittle was ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. Number two. Apparently, hitting a quarterback in the face or the head doesn't mean anything in the Super Bowl the way it does in the regular season, or they just don't want to throw that flag when it's Jimmy Garoppolo getting punched in the face through the face mask. And number three, Kyle Shanahan is never going to win a Super Bowl. There's some hot takes in there. Um I think the the second one. I want to talk about the second one for a second because yeah, the that pass interference call was very, very, very questionable. And I think like what is pass interference is the new what is a catch because yeah. th- there's no consistency anywhere in the league. They have no idea what they're calling. I mean, as far as reviewing it, they don't. I mean, they don't know what they're doing with that. They don't want to. Re- they don't want to overturn them. They have no idea. Like there's there's nothing that got fixed this year by making it um, challengeable. Nothing got fixed this year, and it's been it was a problem all year, and of course it was a problem in the Super Bowl too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, some people were doing the side by side of Kyle Rudolph's game winning touchdown against you know George Kittle's negated reception, and and we'll you know let's let's call out facts. Kyle Rudolph's was far more egregious than than George Kittle's, but. Rudolph's went uncalled. Now, is that because there was a lot of hand fighting and there was some holding by the defender in in Rudolph's case? I don't know. Maybe. But a play like that in a game like that, you 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 can't you you, you can't call that, especially when you're ignoring numerous hits to the face. I counted three in the second half numerous hits to the head and the face of, of Jimmy Garoppolo. And there might've been some, you know, by the Niners a- against Mahomes that I just didn't happen to see. And I would have called it out if I did. Um, but, you know, in a, in a league where they preach, protect the quarterback, protect the quarterback, protect the quarterback. It seems like the only ones getting these, these hit to the helmet calls. And one of them was a, a straight shot from the crown of the helmet by a Chiefs defender on Jimmy Garoppolo's head. The only ones getting these calls are Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Am I missing anybody? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, it's like they thought it was Jameis back there or something. Yeah, and, and oh, God, I, I lost count of the number of... um. 
of the number of times that Jameis got hit in the in the head with with no call. But yeah, I mean, it's just it was it was ugly from that aspect overall. I would say the the officiating was pretty decent, given what we saw throughout the regular season. It was it was relatively acceptable, except for you know a few a few minor things. Um, but yeah, let's let's dive into to the the Kyle Shanahan take that I have. What what is your thoughts on my my stance that Shanahan will never win a Super Bowl? I mean, it looks bad right now, obviously, because of course he was the offensive coordinator during the twenty eight to three debacle, and then last night and on on Sunday night in the Super Bowl, his, his second one blew another lead. Um, I don't know. I just find it. I find it hard to say he's never going to win one because I think that team is set up to, to be a contender year after year. And I think he's a good enough coach to get back there. And I think it's going to be one of those things where eventually he'll get one. I did not like the way he kind of called that game um, for most of it. Really? I know there was some, some talk about early and in, in early in the game, more than late in the game. I thought late in the game, right after, I don't remember what the score was. I think the Chiefs made it 20 to 17 and they got the ball. 49ers got the ball back. I don't remember. It was about, you know, how much time was left? It wasn't, it wasn't that much time, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't it was, that late. It was about five and a half minutes. Yeah. And they did absolutely nothing with it. It seems like they kind of sat on it and were like, all right, we'll, we'll trust our defense, which I understand a little bit because the defense played pretty well throughout the night and they played well all season. But that's putting a lot, a lot, a lot of, pressure on them in a situation where you can't really afford you obviously can't afford to to have a miss by your defense on that and yeah I didn't like the way he managed that the end of the end of the first half he didn't call a timeout when the clock was just running and running and running and that was brutal that made absolutely no sense to I don't think anyone um I don't know I heard someone say today I don't remember where it was but there were and I didn't hear it firsthand so I'm not sure if this is true but they said something like he said he was he was okay with it being 10 to 10 at halftime that's why he didn't he didn't call time out there he wasn't going to push it yeah, that's like he case, was confident in in their in their game plan yeah I don't I don't like I don't like that at all I mean we saw that in I don't know how many how many years have we we see that with the Bucks before I don't even know if, if it's changed probably changed with Bruce was I think Cutter did it too. It would be or it would be late in the first half, and the Bucks would just they'd be like, "Oh, we're getting the ball in the second half. Let's yeah. let's not try to double up." Yeah, I want to say Cutter might have, might might have turned that around a little bit. I remember for sure Lovey was was huge on, eh, "We'll sit on the ball in the first half. We get it. We get it anyway." And I've never understood it. It never makes sense. And to do that in the Super Bowl of all places of all of all stages, it's it's rough. Yeah, I mean, who knows if if they will ever get back there again, like you said, that team is built to get back. And I, I agree wholeheartedly, but you know, there have been plenty of teams that we've seen get to a super bowl. And we thought, well, they didn't win this time, but they'll be back. You take a look at that Eagles team before it, it just completely fell apart between McNabb and, and Terrell Owens. That team was absolutely stacked. And you thought, okay, they'll, they'll be back. They were knocking on the door for a long time. They'll be back. Never were. You take a look at the at the Titans team, Steve McNair, Eddie George, uh, Kevin Dyson. On the defensive side, you had Javon Curse and um, who else was on that team? Uh, Antrell Roll. It, you just had studs from front to back. 
and they lose to the Rams by a yard. And it's like, you know what? They'll be back. And they never were. You know, you, you, it's so, so easy to take for granted the, the elite talent that we see in the NFL. And we figure, yeah, they're going to get their chance, but it's so hard. Like, who knows? This may be the only championship that Patrick Mahomes ever wins. He may never get back. It could be 50 years before the Chiefs get another one. We don't know. We assume not because the team is so good and Patrick Mahomes is so phenomenal, but you just don't know. So to sit on something like that, when you have an opportunity to add, you know, three points or at best seven points at the end of a half, and then turn around and get the ball back and you can double up and you can get three or seven more in a Super Bowl. You have to seize that opportunity. He had all three timeouts and I tweeted out. I can't remember if it was my personal account or the Bucks Nation account. I was bouncing back and forth, but I tweeted out that Shanahan apparently read Andy Reid's book on clock management because we've bashed Andy Reid for years for doing that kind of stuff. And it just didn't make any sense. But Bailey, I'm going to throw a couple numbers out at you. I'm going to take you back to the Falcons and Patriots Super Bowl. Ooh, let's do that. With nine minutes left in the game, the Atlanta Falcons held a 28 to 12 lead and had a win probability of 99.6%. And they lost. Sunday night. With seven and a half minutes left, San Francisco was up by 10 points and they held a win probability of 95.3%. And they lost, not just lost, gave up three touchdowns in the last seven and a half minutes. And I think those two things combined are going to weigh so heavily and hang so, so far over Kyle Shanahan's head that I don't think he can bounce back when it comes to the big one. Like, I'll I'll be amazed if he does, and I'll, I'll be happy for him if he does, as long as it doesn't come at the expense of the Buccaneers. But that's that's outrageous. To, to be on the cusp of a championship twice and somehow blow these record-setting leads. Obviously, the 25-point lead is something we'll, we'll <laughs> never see again. But to allow the Chiefs to, to set a record against you in the Super Bowl by having their third double-digit comeback in one postseason how do you come back from that? Yeah, it's like I said, it looks bad right now because it's hard to see him coming back from. It's hard to see the team coming back from it. But and I know it wasn't necessarily on this on this scale of, of comebacks and all of that and blown leads. But weren't we saying the same kind of stuff about Andy Reid for the longest time? I feel like there's just been some some examples of coaches that, oh, they can't win the big one. And then eventually they finally do. I mean, obviously, there's no guarantee that he'll ever get back and there's no guarantee that he will. But I can't say unequivocally that, no, he's never going to do it because these two things happen. I mean, he's still extremely young. I still think he's a great coach. And 
I, I think he gets one one day. I don't know if it's going to be soon. I don't know if it's going to take a, a rebuild down the line. He's somewhere else or if it's somewhere further in his San Francisco tenure, but I think he's going to get one. I just, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. I'm not saying I think he's going to get one. I'll say, I can't say he's not going to. I can't say he's never going to because I think he's a good enough coach and I think he has a good enough team to to get back to the playoffs at the very least and then from there they can go on a run. I'm not going to I'm not going to go that far as saying he never will. Well, and and another coach that hits even closer to home that that we talk about not being able to win the big one and then bouncing back and finally doing it was Tony Dungy. Yep. You know, you take a look. Yeah, you know, my my boss and I were talking the other day. Uh, you know, the he's a big Colts fan. Our listeners should know that by now. Um, and he was talking about all the Hall of Famers on that Colts team. Hall of Fame coach, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, two Hall of Fame receivers, Hall of Fame running back. You still got Dwight Freeney. You still have Robert Mathis. You those guys are going to get it. One Super Bowl, one. So we talk about these opportunities. And how difficult they are to to be able to get back and get a second opportunity, which is why you know it goes back to Shanahan's uh, you know game management uh, against the Chiefs that it's difficult to get back, and he may never do it. By that same token, I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I was I was a mere youngin at the time, but when the Bucks won their Super Bowl. Weren't they pretty much set up? I mean, their defense certainly was. Weren't they set up for a little while longer to to maybe get back? People were thinking, oh, maybe they're going to get back. And they they had about a one to two year window that they mm-hmm. could have gotten back. Now you go back to the the season after they won the Super Bowl and they got decimated by injury that year. Um, Joe Juravicious missed a lot of time. Um, Brad Johnson missed a lot of time. I I want to say it was. I know there was some injuries in the secondary. I know, I know they got hit with a lot of injuries and they kind of faltered. And then after that was when you started seeing Lynch go and Sap go, because one of the reasons that Bill Parcells left them at the altar for the second time and, and they ended up trading for Gruden is one of Parcells' friends or advisors or, or somebody said, do not take that Buccaneers job because their cap situation is going to be a nightmare. So you have a two to three year window to win a Super Bowl before it all comes crashing down. And boy, did it. Um, so, yeah, the, the Bucks window by time they finally won one was very small, but their window opened back in 99 when they made yeah. it to the NFC championship uh, and then just couldn't beat the godforsaken Eagles. Yeah, I think. That window is definitely definitely open for, I don't know. So it's ninety nine to probably oh three oh four, yeah. Barring all the injuries, so yeah. I mean, it can be so small, and I know people are already saying, "Oh, how many is Mahomes going to win? Is Mahomes going to win four or five? We don't. I know saw that. ten thrown out. I, I heard that, but I thought someone was joking. Like I don't. That's ridiculous. But you don't know. Yeah, like like you said earlier. I mean, he is. He's what twenty four. Yeah, youngest yeah. MVP of a Super Bowl ever. He was 24 and like 138 days old. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously there's no guarantee he gets back. I mean, they had to overcome double-digit deficits in every game in the playoffs to even get to this Super Bowl. So it's not like they're it's not like they're some dominant team. I mean, okay, you can call them dominant, but they're not some like 
world beating team that has no no faults. So like you can't just say, oh yeah, they're gonna run like run the table next year and they're gonna get back again. Like I think they're gonna be in the playoff mix every year for for quite a while, as long as Mahomes is the quarterback, as long as they have that core intact. In but yeah, I mean there's no guarantee that you're ever gonna get back, which like we've we've said multiple times now, Kyle Shanahan's management at the end of the first half and then kind of just being careful there at the end of the game, it it cost him and it could have cost him his, his only chance. Like we, we won't know until obviously it happens again. We'll see. All right. Well, Bailey, we're going to take a quick pause here because David's not here to keep us on track. So we can go <laughs> off on little, little spurts. Have you seen the latest news about the Houston Astros? No, I haven't. What's, what is it this time? The Houston Astros have hired former Tampa Bay Rays VP James Click as their general manager. Of course they have. Because why should their punishment not affect other teams? How do you feel about this, Bailey? I think it's absolutely ridiculous that they, they basically all they did, the only punishment they had was losing AJ Hinch and losing their general manager. And okay, I understand. Well, okay, that kind of sucks. They've been they've been at the forefront of of leading, but they still have all that talent. None of the players got punished, and then they can go poach other teams. Like that that doesn't make sense to me. Like, why should the Rays pay the price of the Astros losing their general manager and have to lose one of their executives because of something that another team did? I haven't understood. Like the whole punishment thing, they like, didn't do anything to the players. I understand maybe. They gave him immunity because they had to get him to talk. But man, that's I don't want to, I don't want to get further into it. Yeah, I have to say, if the MLB was suspending the Astros' general manager and head and their their manager, and they fire them, which is the appropriate response, the team should still have to serve that suspension. They should still have to go through twenty twenty without a official general manager and without an official team manager. I or, I don't ju- just like, I mean, even with my Red Sox, you know, Alex Cora gets fired because of his link to what happened with the Astros. The Red Sox shouldn't be able to hire a new manager for this season. I think they should have to, go the season with an interim manager that was already on the staff and then do their search next year. That's a punishment being able to just, Oh, well our guys are being suspended for a year. Oh, well you're fired. Let's just hire new people like that to me is that that's, that's an an inexcusable loophole that the MLB left open for them. Yeah. Because at that point, what is the punishment? The the owner got fined like pocket change. They lose right. a couple draft picks that maybe not wouldn't have turned into anything anyway. Like, no. at least at least when the Red Sox poached someone from the Rays, it was before all this. <laughs> and now he's going to trade away Mookie Betts, so he's just destroying the team from the inside. Good, it's an inside I job. See, I see what the plan is, and I don't I appreciate it. it. I love it. Nah, Mookie's got to get traded. I love Mookie, but it just dude wants. 400 million for 12 years. It's just like you got offered. I think he was offered like 320 for 10 and he wants 400 for 12. It's like, come on, just sign the paper. Yeah, I know. 
But anyway, that's baseball talk. <laughs> Let's hit all the see, sports. See what happens, David? Do you see what happens? By the way, one more rant before we get to the Hall of Shame. Bailey, have you seen this new Rocket Mortgage commercial with all the college mascots? I haven't. No. Was it on last night? Oh, my God. It was on. I was watching hockey the other night. It was every single commercial break for two full hockey games. (laughs) So I am officially anti-Rocket Mortgage. I would, you know, if we were to ever move again, I would never, ever use their service. They have ruined the movie The Big Lebowski for me because they use a song from that movie in the ad. And it's just like, why? Why does it have to be every single commercial break? <laughs> I hate it. Oh, my gosh. It's got to be something with the, uh, you know, because I have the NHL app and that's how I stream the games. Oh, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because I know anytime I'm, I've streamed anything, a lot of times through like watch ESPN or any of those, it seems like they have the same commercials on loop. And see, it, yeah. it just started Saturday. Because it was when the the lightning were playing the sharks, mm. so it just started then. Because the rest of the time, I've been getting like the Tampa Bay Lightning, the the Fox Sports Sun local commercials, and now all of a sudden, I got to deal with this Rocket Mortgage nonsense, <laughs> and I've had it. Oh man! Speaking of, I've had it. Let's talk about the Pro Football Hall of Shame, shall we? <sighs> talk about big nasty getting in. Let's let's just talk about that. Okay. Yes, that is awesome. Shout out, big nasty voted in the Ford. I'm I'm gonna screw this up. Do you remember the official name? Yeah, the, it was the Ford Hall of Fans. Ford Hall of Fans, incredible. And I can't think of a Buccaneers fan that deserves it more. Um, anytime you watch a Buccaneers game, doesn't matter if it's on Fox, CBS, NFL Network. The rare occasion it's on ESPN, you see Big Nasty's face. You watch the NFL draft, you see Big Nasty's face. As soon as it says the pick is in with the Buccaneers logo next to it, they cut to the Buccaneers fan section, there's Big Nasty. Could not be more excited for him. Just an absolutely awesome honor. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I remember him. Like He's one of the earliest things I remember about the Bucs. When I was a kid whether it was watching on TV or around like the Super Bowl run, all that he was everywhere because it's like, he's like the face of the fan base, which I think is, is super cool. And I, I wrote up the post for it on Bucks nation over the weekend. If you guys want to go look at that, because um, the more I did some research and I didn't even really realize that he does some, some really awesome stuff in the community too. I mean, he has his yes. own, his own program. Um, it's called drugs are nasty. And then he has one, um, he holds the tailgates and he raises money for to fight drug abuse. And then he, I, know, I knew he did some hospital visits. I've seen some pictures and stuff like that online, but it's just awesome that, that he does all that stuff with, with his platform and with this persona that has really been iconic throughout the Bucks history. Um, it's awesome for him. And it's, it's super cool. seems like it, it, it's, he's a humble guy. It seems like he seems very, uh, very humbled by the, the fact that he's, he's in and it's just awesome and a huge congrats to him. I, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. He he really is very involved with with community outreach and and being a a face of someone who goes above and beyond to help as much as he can. And uh, 
you know, it's it was an awesome honor. I'm I'm really excited for him. Nothing but the utmost respect for for Keith and and all he does uh, representing Buccaneers fans. Because let's be honest, and every fan base is this way. There are some incredible fans that go above and beyond, and there are some that just want to make you scream. Hello, Twitter. Hi, Twitter. <laughs> Keith is definitely the former and not the latter, and very happy for him to be in the Ford Hall of Fans. As for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, giving my state a bad name, John Lynch. Oh, for seven. Cancel it all. You know, I I have nothing personal against Ira Kaufman. He's a well-respected member of the media throughout the Buccaneers fandom. He has gotten people into the Hall of Fame. He will get more people into the Hall of Fame. I can guarantee it. But I had an interaction with Joe Bucks fan on Twitter. And, uh, you know, they had posted a video of Ira's presentation. And I commented, after seven years, I think it's time for a new voice to present John Lynch. And they responded to me and they said, from what we've been told or from what Joe has been told, because they got to do that (laughs) shtick. Yeah. You know, Ira does a great job and I'm sure he does. I'm not questioning that. But it's the same people in this room every year. And it's Ira Kaufman presenting John Lynch every year. If the voters haven't bought what Ira is selling after seven years, it's time for someone else to step up and give it a shot because there's nothing Ira can say next year that is going to be different than what he said the previous seven years. It's almost like when you would be working, you know, when you were in school or if your job involves some sort of problem solving and you have this one thing that you just can't crack and you feel like you've looked at it from every angle, you feel like you've tried every hypothesis you have and just can't get the result that you want. So you call someone else in the room and you say, hey, take a look at this. I can't get this to where I need it to be. And that fresh set of eyes is able to look at it from a different perspective and say, what if you do this? And then it works. Because sometimes when you look at something for so long, you become so tunnel vision that you can't, you can't go outside of that. And I think we've reached that point for John Lynch and, and Ira's presentations. Again, Nothing against Ira personally, but he's been at this for seven years. Like I said, he's not going to come up with something new. There's not going to be some new stat created or anything like that that's going to change his presentation from what these guys have heard for the last seven years. It's time to hand the reins off to someone else. See if, if Ira's pitch and somebody else's pitch together can finally get something to click with these voters because I don't get it. 
how these voters can look at John Lynch, whether you want a stat scout or you want to take into consideration what his former coaches have said, that he was the catalyst for a record-setting and Super Bowl-winning defense. Or you want to talk about you know, his charitable work off the field. You want to talk about the kind of person he is. Whatever the case is, the voters just aren't getting it. And he is a Hall of Famer through and through. But something's got to give. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, and I, I don't think I can really disagree with anything you said. I didn't really get a chance to to watch the video that uh, Joe Buck's fan posted of Iris' Iris speech. Um, so I can't really comment too much on on what he said. But, I mean, the, the point still kind of stands is that seven years have gone by, and if it's been the same thing, you got to try something different, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see how John Lynch is not a Hall of Famer. I don't know in what world John Lynch is not a Hall of Famer. Um, I don't know. If that's the world we live in, that's that's pretty sad. But the, the thing I'm kind of holding that hope for, I guess this is just the, the optimism in me, is that, hey, maybe next year it, it finally clicks, it finally happens, and it's with the Super Bowl in Tampa. I think that'd be pretty cool. I mean, all things considered, he probably should have been in this year. And then Rondé would have been maybe been the one in next year when it was in Tampa, when the Super Bowl is in Tampa. But that's not the the case that we're in. I just don't. I don't know. I was sitting there. Uh, I was at a USF UCF basketball game, hating that entire game. And I'm checking Twitter for all the Hall of Fame stuff, and I see Steve Atwater and I see Troy uh, Troy Polamalu get in. I try to call him Palamalu, but just because that's what we've been doing. Um, I see I see both of them get in, get in, and I realize well. They're not putting three safeties in. John Lynch is out again, and kind of just sat there and was like, "What's what's the deal? Like, when when is this going to happen? Because it's got to happen. Like, he's a Hall of Famer, and I don't know if if yesterday the 49ers or on Sunday night if the 49ers had won the Super Bowl and he's a Super Bowl winning GM. I don't know if that helps his case next year. Um, but man, I mean, something something's gotta gotta give because that guy's a Hall of Famer and. He's he's got to be in. He's got to be in. If it's if it's not next year, we're gonna have the same conversation again because it's he he's a Hall of Famer. That's it. Bailey, I'm gonna drop some audio that I recorded about a year ago. We're gonna play fun little games, you know, called name that that voice. But I asked somebody about John Lynch's struggles to get into the Hall of Fame after he was denied for the. Sixth time, veiled this, so I'm, I'm going to drop a little audio in here. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. John Lynch has had a lot of trouble getting into the Hall of Fame. He's been a finalist year after year after year. You coached him, big part of the Super Bowl team. What do you think is keeping him out of there? I have no idea. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's a Hall of Fame on the, on the field and off the field. He's everything the Hall of Fame stands for, but I know there's a lot of great candidates. You can't deny that some of the guys that are probably getting in don't deserve it too. Uh, so he's just got to wait his turn, be patient, and he'll get there. All right. I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> Tell you what, man, that John Lynch, <laughs> Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. Um, one of the other things my boss and I were talking about, we we started talking about Deion Sanders interview where he started talking about the Hall of Fame. I can't remember if it was on Dan Patrick or Rich Eisen. I want to say it was on Dan Patrick show. 
where he said that he doesn't even know what the Hall of Fame is anymore. He said, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, it's it's become the Hall of Most Popular. You know, it doesn't have the notoriety that it used to. And and you know, you hear John Gruden in that little clip say kind of the same thing that there are guys in there that probably don't deserve it. And it seems like they're putting guys in just to put guys in. And some of these guys that are more deserving are having to wait because they didn't play on the bigger team. They didn't have more Jersey sales. You know, you, you look at another former Buccaneer in Simeon Rice, a dude that had better numbers than Jason Taylor, but Taylor was a first ballot hall of famer and Simeon Rice hasn't even gotten past the semifinalists. He's only been a semifinalist once or twice. But it, it, it's it's reached a point for me where, and, and Bailey, we were talking before the recording, if John Lynch was a Steeler, if he was a Cowboy, if he was a New York Giant, if he was a Green Bay Packer, if he was a San Francisco 49er, he's already in the Hall of Fame. He might have been in the Hall of Fame for five years now. You can't tell me that there's not a big market, small market bias. And I had posted that on my Facebook page, and I had somebody comment, uh, a gentleman by the name of Russell Baxter. He's He's been involved in sports media for a long time, worked at ESPN. Um, he kind of called me out, and he said, he said, why are you calling it the NFL? the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a totally separate entity. That's 100% true. It's not the NFL Hall of Fame. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But who are the people in charge of putting players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? They're NFL media. They're writers for NFL teams or they're national writers for the NFL in general. This isn't Ira walking into a room in front of 12 committee members hired by the Pro Football Hall of Fame and making a pitch. It's him talking to his colleagues. It's other guys that are trying to get their players in. There is a built-in bias as far as the position that these players that are finalists played because the Eagles writer isn't going to vote for John Lynch to get in because he wants his guy in. You know, the Packers writer isn't going to vote for John Lynch because Leroy Butler's still waiting. Yeah, I mean, I want to go go back to what, what Gruden said in that clip, and it kind of stuck with me is he just needs to be patient, wait his turn. How many years are we going to say that? Because that, that was you said that was last year? Yeah, that was uh, that was the combine last year. Yeah, so I mean, we're saying it again this year. Okay, I guess he's just got to wait his turn. When is his turn going to be? Because I mean, that that proverbial his turn. I mean, it's not a thing that's set in stone. It's just something that oh, it's it's off in the future. We'll he'll get there. We'll we'll find out. It's going to be at some time. I mean, we don't know. Like, when is his turn? Because, because it doesn't seem like anyone really has any kind of urgency to to vote him in because he he has waited his time. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you're you're not 100% sure either. Isn't there a time limit? 
Can't you only be a finalist a certain number of times before you're removed from the ballot? And then you have to wait even longer to be one of these two legends um, inductees. You know, they do five modern era and then they do these two legendary inductees. So is John Lynch only, only going to have a few more years left to get in before he's got to wait 20 years and maybe even longer than that to be one of those two legend inductees? I mean, are we gonna are, are we finally gonna put him in, you know, after the the poor man is dead? Like, what are we waiting for? Yeah, I have no idea. I think um, I'm not 100. percent You're right. I'm not 100 percent on that. But I think there is there is has, I think there is a limit, and then it goes into that legacy thing that they're that they're doing, and it it just should not get to that point. I mean, I don't. I can't believe it's already been. I can't believe it's been seven years already, and we're still talking. He was a semifinalist too, and Rondé, he's a surefire Hall of Famer, but you know he didn't even make finalists this year. And you, you, so you brought up the fact that there's five guys on that Super Bowl team, the Super Bowl defense, that should be Hall of Famers, and it's like they can't bring themselves to put them all in. Because I think John Lynch will get in one day. I think Rondé Barber will get in very soon too. To me, just the way the way the voting process is, the way it seems like there is a kind of a bias against the smaller markets. I don't see Simeon Rice ever getting into the Hall of Fame. And that's a shame. I just don't see it happening because it doesn't seem like he's he's widespread. He's, he's a big enough name, which shouldn't be the case. Like That should not be a prerequisite for getting consideration. But it seems like he's not a big enough name for these national media writers and, or media people to vote him in. And... Especially if, if Lynch is going to keep waiting, it's going to push Rondé back. Because I don't see them putting in two bucks in the same year. So it's going to push Rondé back further. And then the further back Rondé gets pushed, the further back Simeon Rice gets pushed back. And I just don't think that there's going to be any kind of urgency that says, oh, yeah, Simeon Rice, yeah, we all we all loved him. We all know him because he played in Tampa. It's It sucks. Well, I'm sure we'll have to uh... – dig up this conversation again next year because I don't even know who's I don't even know who's eligible next year. Can't wait. Oh, it's there's some big names on there and I can't remember exactly who. Um if you give me a minute I'll try to pull it up. But yeah, I, I remember there were some big names that came up. Um I said the other day when 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 the voting came out, there were some names that came up and I was like, okay, well next next year's just gonna be just as tough. So uh Peyton Manning. Yep. Uh, Charles Woodson. So there goes the safety spot. Calvin Johnson. Already? That's crazy. Uh, it's going <laughs> to We're going to be talking about this again next year. Yep. We really are. Goodness gracious. Yeah, because Charles Woodson will get in before John Lynch. And I understand I understand the the notoriety of being a first ballot Hall of Famer. But when you're getting to these guys that have been on the ballot for multiple years, Why why do you have to keep making somebody wait 
because of the position they played. And I understand there's fewer safeties in the Hall of Fame than any other position outside of punter and kicker. But, you know, John Lynch, as we said over and over and over, this was his seventh year as a finalist. Why couldn't he get in over Edron James, who hasn't been a finalist nearly as long? Or Steve Atwater, and I realize Steve Atwater, theoretically, has waited longer because he was stuck in that semi-finalist purgatory for a long time, the way Rondé and Simeon Rice will be. But he was only a finalist for three years. So how does it work that he was stuck as a semi-finalist for years and years and years and then breaks into the finalist category and gets in faster than somebody who's been a finalist year after year after year. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to it. blow it all up. Yeah. I mean, the That's whole process, done. the whole process is, it doesn't make sense. And they're not going to do anything about it though. That's the thing is like, we can, we can get all frustrated all we want and everyone can, but they're not going to change it. I don't see them changing it. And as long as they don't change it, we're still going to have the same conversations year after year about, oh, if so-and-so was – I mean, if Rondé Barber was a was on a big market team, I think he's in the, the, the Hall of Fame this year. Oh, yeah. Like The, the only corner to have 45 interceptions and 25 sacks. Again, if he's on the Cowboys, first ballot. First ballot. Easily. I just, I don't, I don't know. Everyone brings up that excuse. Oh, he's a slot corner. He's a nickel, whatever. He revolutionized the position. Like he, he's, oh man, I can't, I can't keep, we can't keep going around in circles because it's the most frustrating thing because the process makes no sense. And there's so many guys out there that are deserving that aren't getting in just because a big market or they've waited their turn. I mean, it's, it's just so arbitrary. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, we'll leave it with this. Bailey, who gets into the Hall of Fame first? John Lynch, Rondé Barber, or Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> I'll be optimistic and say John Lynch, but it's probably not going to happen next year, so I don't know. I'm going to say probably Patrick Mahomes. Yikes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Coming up tomorrow, Bailey and I are going to touch on a report that was dropped over the weekend about um, the Buccaneers going going searching, going hunting, however you want to phrase it. So that should lead to an interesting conversation and interesting Twitter mentions. But until then, please check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're sending us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Make sure you are flooding David Harrison's Twitter account at dh82 underscore bucks to let him know that you just don't feel loved or appreciated by him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Also, anti Ohio State gifts are welcome. They always are. You can also follow along with the show at Locked On Bucks. Bailey and I are at Bailey J Adams 22 and at J Yarko underscore bucks. Follow our work over at Bucks underscore nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day. <laughs>
And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. <laughs>